Welcome to Que Pasa HSIs, a podcast dedicated to everything Hispanic serving institutions. I'm your host, Dr. Gina Ann Garcia, bringing you the news on what's happening in HSIs. Join us as we explore the history and evolution of HSIs, culturally relevant and liberatory practices, current and emerging research with HSIs, and the policies that shape servingness. Saludos, HSI familia, and welcome back to the pod. This episode will go live during the Alliance of HSI Educators 2023 conference in San Francisco, and my hope is that we can get it trending. Thanks for tuning in and helping us to make this episode one of the most downloaded so far. That's my hope, at least. I am excited about today's episode because it is the first to feature students at HSIs. Thus far, we have heard from HSI researchers and HSI practitioners, most of whom have had advanced degrees and many years of higher education experience. Their knowledge has been more than valid, but so is the knowledge of our undergraduate students at HSIs. And that's the focus of today's episode, to learn with students. I had the pleasure of speaking with Title V ambassadors from Mount San Antonio College or Mount SAC in California and their advisor, Diana Felix, who serves as faculty coordinator for Title V student development at Mount SAC. Crystal Shavida Ordunez is a Mount SAC alumni who transferred to CSU East Bay, where they will complete their bachelor's in criminal justice and sociology by the spring of 2024. They plan to continue in higher education in either pursuing a master's degree or jumping straight to a PhD program in the criminal justice field. Crystal is the oldest child of six and grew up in a low-income family in Baldwin Park, California, and is a first-generation college student. Going to school and being able to express their body art without being discriminated against has been one of their biggest accomplishments as they advocate for the destigmatization of body art being directly linked to someone who cannot strive in higher education. Participating in Title V work has allowed them to acknowledge that the student voice does really need to be heard and that those who dominate in higher ed world do really want to hear the stu what students have to say. That's beautiful. I love it. Arlene Reyes is a first-generation low-income undergraduate student who is doing research on advocacy of HSIs, specifically at Mount SAC. Arlene is a Mount SAC alum who transferred to Cal State Fullerton and will, will attain her bachelor's degree in psychology at the end of spring 2023. She will be pursuing her master's degree and potentially her PhD. Arlene is the daughter of a Mexican single mother and a sister to four siblings. Arlene grew up in the city of Baldwin Park, California, where the first In-N-Out burger was made. Ooh, what you got to say, Texas? What you got to say? Her commitment to education has been demonstrated by her struggles and perseverance and her willingness to advocate for those who cannot advocate for themselves. Graciela Padilla is a low-income first-generation college student. She is a Mount SAC alumnus who transfers to Cal Poly Pomona and will obtain a bachelor's degree in sociology June 2024 and planning to obtain a master's degree in counseling after. Graciela is the daughter of Mexican immigrants from the state of Jalisco and grew up in the city of Pomona, California. Estefania Sanchez is a Mount SAC alumnus who is a current student at the University of California, Santa Cruz, looking to earn their bachelor's degree in psychology and potentially in Latin America and Latino studies. Estefania is a first generation and queer person with family from San Martin de las Piramides or Teotihuacan, Mexico, with parents who found a home in the California region of the Inland Empire. Estefania is looking to become a therapist and social worker for their future career. 
And finally, Diana Felix has 18 years of experience serving low-income and first-generation college students in higher education and student affairs across all three public systems of higher education in California. Since 2011, she has been the faculty counselor coordinator at Mount SAC for the ACES program, a TRIO student support services program that assists low-income first-generation and or disabled students to obtain an associate's degree and transfer to a four-year institution. Diana is a Mount SAC alum who transferred to UC Santa Barbara and attained her bachelor's degree in sociology and her master's degree from CSU Long Beach in counseling, student development, and higher education. Diana is the daughter of Mexican immigrants for the state of Zacatecas and Durango and grew up in the city of Baldwin Park, California. Her longstanding commitment to educational equity is demonstrated in the meaningful ways she incorporates her family's history into her daily practice as an educator. I had the privilege of working with Diana and Dr. Lisa Rodriguez to help kick off their HSI efforts at Mount SAC and the extreme honor of working with the Title V ambassadors to launch a participatory action research. I learned a lot from these students and hope you will too. Alrighty, everybody, let's go ahead and get started with today's show. Mount SAC, HSI Equipo, welcome to the show and thank you for taking the time to be here today on Que Pasa HSIs, where we talk about all things HSIs. But before we talk about what's up with HSIs, we like to talk about you and learn about you, especially because we have five of y'all today. We want to hear a little bit about, about what's going on. Um, this is the first episode to feature a team of students working on HSI initiatives. So we're really excited to have y'all here and to learn with y'all. So first, first question, tell us about your higher education journey, including your transfer process. All right. So thank you for inviting HSI people to be here today. It's truly an honor to share space. Um, I am from Mount San Antonio College, Mount SAC, uh, which is located on uh, Tongva lands territories. They are the traditional caretakers of Tovangar, the Los Angeles Basin, Southern Channel Islands, what we now call home, and where Mount SAC is geographically situated. Much respect to our ancestors, elders, and our relatives, past, present, and emerging. So my name is Diana Felix, and I um, serve as the faculty counselor coordinator for the TRIO ACES program at Mount SAC for 12 years now, where we serve um, low-income first-generation college students, assisting them in graduating and transferring to um, from Mount SAC. In addition to this role, I was appointed a two-year term as faculty coordinator for Title V student development in fall of 2020. Um, so a little bit about myself. I am the oldest of five children daughter of immigrants to Mexico. So I had no one in my family that could really provide that guidance in navigating higher education from knowing about it, understanding how it works and even how to pay for it, like no knowledge at all. And so after graduating high school in, in 1999, I was very lost and confused on what to do next academically. Uh, but Mount SAC did a great job of, of coming to my high school and recruiting. So I did attend Mount SAC as a student in 1999. Um, I was very fortunate to be part of uh, the Summer Bridge program, um, which was a, a transition program to kind of transition us from high school into college. And that was very impactful for, for me and for my familia, really, because, again, none of us really had that knowledge of what higher education was about. So, um, you know, transitioning into Mount SAC. And then I was also able to, while I was at Mount SAC, professionally grow um, as a student employee, which I really value that experience because it allowed me to really develop my my leadership skills and and gain that understanding of working in higher ed as a student, which was awesome. Um, 
after three years at Mount Sac, I transferred to UC Santa Barbara, which was it's two hours north of Baldwin Park. I'm originally from Baldwin Park, California. And this was a really big deal for my family of seven to, to leave. Like, how are they all going to thrive without me? Right. My family, they were fine. Right. The eldest leaving. But it was still, you know, a transition for my family, of course. Um, I did have the opportunity to study abroad when in, in Spain for six months while I was at UC Santa Barbara which was a very impactful experience in developing my, my own identity outside of my city and my, in my country. It was very profound. Um, I then attained my bachelor's degree from UC Santa Barbara in sociology. From there, I, I, I attended CSU Long Beach um, and attained my master's degree in counseling, student development in higher education. So even though I had really, I felt like I had to really achieve these really amazing academic milestones, it was all new to, to my family. So it, it was really, we were all learning together um, at the same time. So after I attained my degrees, I was very eager to dive in um, in working, con continuing the work um, in higher ed professionally uh, to get paid right to design and implement and get really right to work and in, in pulling up and pulling in those that were coming after me. So it's been it's been um, it's been great so far. So yeah, to answer that question, um, I of course started off at Mount San Antonio College in Mount Sac and um, having been at this community college right before transferring was like super incredible. Um, there's definitely like a lot of stigma that people project onto students attending um, community colleges, but I think it was a really important part of my journey in higher education. Before I transferred, I felt very lucky to have felt surrounded by so many people who are also Latina and who've been through similar and also different experiences in me at Mount Sac. And then now I've transferred to the University of California, Santa Cruz or UCSC. And of course, there's definitely there's definitely like a large Latina community with their own student programs and organizations. Like, they, for example, they have their own El Centro and their own HSI committee and their own just like um, organizations that support um, communities of color and also Latina communities. And I really appreciate it. And of course, like in any scenario, it's super important to look to look for a community. Um, but I realized how much effort it was um, in taking me to go out of my own way and finding people who are similar to me and that it wasn't going to just magically happen by itself. Because I think definitely like when I was at Mount Sac, it didn't like magically happen. And I did look for that community, but also like in some ways it felt a little bit a little bit simpler um and then like I definitely feel more independent and honestly sometimes a little bit lonely here at UC Santa or at UC Santa Cruz um but I look forward to meeting more people and making even more of an effort to find people in like future quarters um because of the long distance from my home in the Inland Empire or the IE in SoCal, I realized even more how important my family's Mexican heritage was to me when I got there. And I listened, like, for example, I listened to even more Spanish music or I talk more in Spanish. And I'll speak to a lot of my non-Latina friends about things as like simple as like the importance of like how to pronounce my name correctly and just like my overall connection to my cultural identity. Um, hi, everyone. My name is Graciela Padilla. So my journey started in 2020. I'm a non-traditional college student. So I was like 11 years out of high school and I wanted to make major changes to my life. So I enrolled at Mount San Antonio College and I'm a first gen. So I really didn't know what to do. I had no idea like where to start or anything like that. 
all I had was like one of my best friends. She kept telling me like, just apply and apply to this program and do this and do that. So I was like trying to do everything she told me. So it was a bit overwhelming, but I transferred out this past summer. And currently I'm attending Cal Poly Pomona to earn my bachelor's degree in sociology. And my plan is to continue higher ed, my um, higher education and pursuing my master's in counseling. Hi everyone, so my name is Arlene. Um, it's truly exciting to be on this podcast. Um, we've been talking about it for a while, so it's pretty cool. Um, so when I graduated high school, I knew that I wanted to go to college. However, the school that I went to did not talk about college. Um, all they did was make us apply to FAFSA, and then it was just like, what next? And we didn't get guidance on that. So then I ended up um, working for two years to actually help support my family before going back to school. Eventually, I researched on my own how to apply to Mount SAC because it was the closest um, college. So I kind of just looked to see what was closest to me, and that's the route that I went. Um, so then I applied and I was confused because I didn't know how to navigate anything. Like I was just so clueless. Um, and it was like nerve wracking because I was just like, okay, so I'm here, but like, what do I do? How do I find community? Like it was, it was very, it was not like, I guess it was terrifying just because I had no idea what I was doing. Um, but eventually I just kind of started like connecting. Um, I started making mistakes and then correcting them. Um, and then um, as for my transfer process, I I guess that kind of helped me navigate uh, Mount SAC because I found TRIO. Um, I found Diana, which she's an amazing counselor. Um, and also like even the staff at TRIO, um, they believe in you when you don't believe in yourself. So um, it's as much as the transfer process is scary, the fact that they have like a mini transfer center there is very helpful for every student who's looking to transfer. Um, they guide you, um, they give you so many resources and that's truly, um, as a first gen low income student, having that support was truly beneficial for myself. And so, yeah, that, that was kind of how they helped me develop my skills to prepare a new, to prepare to enter a new institution. Hi everybody, hola, my name is Crystal. Um, my higher education journey um, was pretty interesting. I was a 4.0 student in high school. I was um, part of the honors program, everything. But as I was educationally striving, my home life was falling apart. And I didn't have the opportunity to go ahead and go out to my dream school like how I originally planned to. So I was like, all right, I still want to go to school. So what are alternatives? Mount SAC was the first alternative that I saw, but when I brought it up to counselors, it was like the black sheep of the higher education realm. Any community college that I brought up, they were like, no, like, you're not for that. You need to go to a, a four-year Cal State UC. And I was like, I don't think so. So what did I do? I followed my gut and I went to Mount SAC. And after making that decision, I can proudly say that that's been one of the best decisions I've made in my entire life. My two best friends, one of them went to UCR and the other one went to Cal State Laverne. We have all compared our educational, social, and work paths. And without sounding like I'm boasting or putting myself on a higher pedestal, I honestly won first place in all three of those rankings. You know, I was able to get um, a lot of like classes done 
in a faster time period compared to them. I was able to get this amazing job with Diana Felix. And I was also able to like dwell a lot socially, um, not only in like the making friends portion, but like getting that like active justice movement going on, which they never have even heard of before. So I was like, all right, cool, cool, cool. Got this in the bag. Um, I was able to end up transferring after being at Mount Sac for three years and I transferred up north. Worst, not the worst decision, but a weird decision climate wise. So I'm from Southern California. I'm a Golden State girl, lived in the sun, glow under the sun, all of that. Moving to the Bay was a whole different ball game. But other than the weather, educationally, I have been thriving up there. I was grateful enough to look at my emails and I found a job being able to work under the Latinx Student Success Center there on campus. So I was able to find, you know, a good community ground set that is something you're always actively looking for. And especially being a transfer student, that was also something that I was also really scared of because I was like, I'm 367 miles away from home. I can't just drive back home and like talk to my mom about my day anymore. I can't just go home to my siblings. So it was really cool that I was able to find, you know, that alternate outlet. And I'm very freaking thankful for that. Um, up here, I am pursuing a bachelor's in criminal justice and in sociology. Awesome. Thank you all for those introductions. I love hearing your stories about successful transfer. It's beautiful. And thank you, Crystal, for talking about how, you know, counselors tell you things like don't go to community colleges, like, and you followed your gut, right? And and how that was so important. Um, and counselors shouldn't be doing that kind of stuff, right? Because we know the community college and particularly the California community colleges are amazing and such great entry points for higher ed. Um, so thank you all, all of you for sharing those, those, those stories, those journeys. I don't know that we've had any uh guests that have had um so such a you know impactful stories about about a, the transfer process, right? And and successful. And while you were talking, Crystal, I realized most of y'all did move actually up north from Southern California, right? Um, Y'all left uh, Baldwin Park, those of you from Baldwin Park, the original in and out <laughs> I, I, That's in the intro. If y'all listen to the intro, that, that's in the intro. Um, we've had many in and out moments with this group before talking about in and outs um, because I have had the honor of working with this, this group in the past. So so thank you so much um, for starting starting us off with, with that. It's an honor to have y'all here. So let's go ahead and get into HSI, because I know you all have HSI consciousness, um, and I want to know about your journeys. I like to hear people's journeys into consciousness and how they came, how servingness came in to be. How did you understand what servingness is? How do you know what HSI is? So let's go ahead and get into that. All right. So I'll go ahead. Uh, this is Diana here. Um, so in terms of my servingness journey, I, I have devoted my, I would say my career in higher education, working with TRIO programs, right? So I come from that, that perspective of, of TRIO programs since 2006. So I've been, I've been in higher education for a while, but specifically working with TRIO. And TRIO, for those of you that don't know, it's, it's a set of eight different federally funded programs with the intent um, to help first generation and low income students in need. And so there's like a somewhat of a, a, a pipeline, right, if you will, uh, working as, as, as young as middle school um, into college. So I did work at Pasadena City College. So I got my bachelor's degree, was ready to go out and, you know, change the world. And um, and I got hired at PCC. It was my first job with benefits and full time. And I was just so eager, like I had uh, mentioned previously, to kind of dive in and start doing the work. 
Um, so I was I was there for four years at PCC, Pasadena City College, um, working specifically with Upward Bound. So Upward Bound, you're working with high school students, they're ninth grade, you know, to senior year, and you're, I call it brainwashing but you're really guiding them on this is higher education and the beautiful part about upward bound is that you're not only working with the students but their families right so you're really teaching the families as well how higher education works so i did that for four years at pcc and then i then moved to cal state long beach um upward bound working with them for another four years that was already eight years you know of experience and then that's when i got hired here at mount sac right in um in 2012 and that was to to basically create a new trio program like right out of the box right um we had just gotten it funded in 2011 so this was a trio of student support services program um and so i feel like i i had already kind of been putting in the work and in, in assisting right um working and serving our first generation low income that a lot of them identified as latine um latinx so but in 2020 right as we as we were entering a national pandemic is when i decided to like i should take on another role in my life more of you know and so i then applied and was appointed through academic senate to be faculty coordinator of title 5 student development and this was in September of 2020. So when the world was, you know, being asked to stay home and work from home was when I decided to embark on this new adventure in addition to my work with TRIO. And so I had always known what an HSI was because I attended an HSI, right? I attended, you know, Long Beach and I attended Mount Sac, right? And, and so as a student, I understood, I think from that perspective, I'm even working at PCC and Cal State Long Beach, I understood you know, oh, they're, they're HSIs and what it, 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 it takes to become an HSI. But I didn't really understand the servingness component of it until I got hired to do this work in 2020. When then, I, as soon as I got hired, I'm like, all right, I'm gonna be the faculty coordinator for, for student development at Mount SAC. I gotta hire students, right? To really help advise me and guide me in doing this work. And then it wasn't until then when I hired students where they were asking me, well, well what's an HSI? How long have we been in HSI? And then, and I'm like, I don't know those answers, but we'll figure it out. And that was the initial beginning of really understanding, you know, our identity as an HSI, right, um, in 2020. And I do want to just provide a little bit of context that in September of 2019, Mount SAC was also establishing a Latinx, uh, Latinx, Chicanx, student support program. We had never had one at Mount SAC, right? So this was very important for me to mention because this was something that was already in the works here at Mount SAC. Um, and it kind of came to be in 2019, but this was something that was a result of students um, 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 demanding and really uh, you know, uh, advocating for this space back in 2012 and 2014 here at Mount SAC. So students were demanding it and asking for it. And so it was really exciting to see that in 2019, it started to come to be right this um this support program specific specifically for our latinx latina students um and so that kind of coincided with the work with title five so we right away partnered up with um el centro who who at that time was again getting just started so when we hired i hired the team we already we assessed what was already existing on our campus that was working towards that development of enhancing students cultural awareness personal development and then we partnered up with folks all ac across campus right and then if we found something that was missing then we created it which was the fun part uh, and we'll get into that a little bit later but that was the exciting part so i think all these things just kind of naturally came to be so so yeah thank you Hello, um, Stephanie again. 
Um, my journey really started um, back in 2019 when I joined Mount Sac's Mecha chapter as a general member. And for anybody who doesn't really know what Mecha is, uh, Mecha is a political student organization that started back in the late 1960s, and it was essentially modeled after um, civil the civil rights movement and to serve the Chicane community. I highly recommend you look into it. There's like a definitely like a rich history there and like a very interesting history with um, just like the Mecha organization and like all its chapters like across um, the United States. And essentially in that space, right in Mount Sac, um, I got to find out that the student leaders, um, to build off pretty much of what Diana was saying, the student leaders for um, this Mecha chapter at the time and like like previous Mecha, like the previous Mecha chapters at Mount Sac as well, um, were spearheading demands to have an El Centro on our own campus because there wasn't one before, and also to have it fully institutionalized and fully funded. So one of the important points that the, the student leaders had was um, for this need for a Centro was, um, right, Mount, Mount Sac is an HSI, but where's this grant money that Mount Sac gets from the government for our Latina students, pop, first for our Latina student population going? Is it going to Mount Sac El Centro? If it's not going there, why is it not going there? And these big questions like really planted a seed in me with regards to like servingness and HSIs. And eventually, like, right, I was elected to be secretary for Mecha and I went out of my way to like as like we were trying to organize students to like um, go to board meetings and to demand for an El Centro. Um, I went out of my own way to attempt to summarize what HSIs are, um, what the board of trustees is and like where that grant money, um, how that grant, where that grant money really comes from and um, like what the title means like to explain to our general population through um, just general body emails. And then eventually, um, after having been in Mecha, I was recommended to join the Title V committee by one of my mentors. And that's when things really took off with like working alongside with Diana. And it's been a really long and interesting and like great journey, but I like I definitely appreciate like every moment of it. And I, at first, like, I was intimidated by, like, because <laughs> we did start off with, like, PAR. So I was, like, a little bit intimidated with all the research talk. <laughs> but I'm, like, here now. And, like, we definitely have been, like, guided well. We've been in good hands to understand of, like, what HSIs are and what Title V is through Title V committee meetings. Like, the research, of course, and definitely, like, <laughs> reading your book, Gina. <laughs> So as for me, I really had no idea about HSIs or like a matter of fact, any term that had to do with college students. And one of my counseling appointments with Diana, she told me she like, she started telling me a little bit about a new job. She's like, oh, I might have like, I might be looking for another student. She's like, I can't like guarantee it, but I'll let you know. And sure enough, like a month later, I was a student ambassador. So, um, so like when I, little by little when we first started I started like learning what it meant to be an HSI like our title and the grant and now I'm almost two years into this journey and it has been a great experience like now I understand what being an HSI is at Mount Sac I get to like helps make the campus stronger with this designation and I still meet students that don't know what an HSI is so like I try to encourage them and help them like and tell them what like being an HSI campus is and what it means for them as well. Hi everyone, so Arlene again. Um, so before, I guess with what mine started, um, 
before transferring out. Um, I was actually having a counseling session with Diana about like the transfer process and all of that. And then um, she basically was like, hey, there's this opportunity um, regarding HSIs and Title V. And I really want you to, I want to bring you onto the team. And I was like, um, I have no idea what, what this means. I have no idea what this consists of. Um, but I was actually, at that time, I had a full-time job. I was a full-time student. Um, I was miserable at that position. They were um, overly abusing me. Um, and so I was just like, you know what? Like, I'm just going to do it. I'm going to take the pay cut hours. I'm going to, you know, take the pay cut in general and just, you know, embark on this new journey with Diana and everybody else. And I think it was uh, truly something amazing. Um, I like now understand what it means to be an HSI. I understand how important it is to create visibility for it. Um, because as Stephanie mentioned, it's like, where's this money going to? Like, what are we doing with this to benefit our Latinx, Latinx students? Um, and so, you know, creating this core concepts of, you know, amplifying the HSI identity and figuring out how to continue to help students and how to develop a community. Because I feel like for me, like that has been um, something very huge is developing a community sense within Mount Sac for our Latinx students. Because I feel like our students sometimes are like, we're gonna go to classes and then go home and then that's it. Like there's no like networking, there's no like what's next, right? So creating that space for our students is very important. Um, and so, yeah, that that has been um, my serviness. Hola, hola. So my serviness journey started off a little bit weird. Um, I am a former slash current machista. Um, you know, Stephanie, I mentioned earlier before, the mecha community on Mount Sac is loud and proud. You will not walk by that mecha booth without somebody calling you over to that table. Um, my serving journey started off with the former mentor, Fabian Pavon. Shout out to him. He's doing his PhD program right now at UCSB. Hope he's doing good. Um, one day I was hanging out in El Centro and Fabian came up to me and he was like, hey, do you know Diana Felix? And I was like, I've never heard that name before. Um, at the time, El Centro, it's still located in the same building. We're on the second floor and Diana's office is on the third floor. And he was like, oh, well, some lady upstairs. And I was like, okay, cool, a lady upstairs. Well, she's looking for people to get like some community service going on, you know, like she needs some people. And I mentioned your name because, you know, you're always pulling up to stuff. I was like, okay, cool. Send her my email. Let's see what happens. I, I was just thinking coming into this, we were going to do some community service. I was going to be talking to people. I was going to be using my loud voice. I thought that's, that's all was going to happen. I meet Diana, she gives us this whole ball game. We meet Gina, we meet Gina's doctoral students. I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I signed up for community service, not for learning how to do research as a first gen low income community college student. Am I grateful for this opportunity? Of course, never in a million light years did my mom, me or my grandma ever think that, you know, I was going to get an opportunity like this. But I am so thankful I did because as a machista, I saw all the student work. I saw the footwork. I saw us standing outside of, you know, the president's office and be like, hey, when are you going to answer our emails? You know, we sent you 15 emails last week. 
you send them to your secretary too, I'm sure she forwarded them back to you. And then, you know, so I was able to see that realm of everything. And then jumping into the HSI and the, the background of the background was a whole other ball game. And it was definitely an insight as to how the students could like update and like reframe our work to better alter and get a better response in regards to how the actual educational realm works, you know? Cause we thought, we thought by sending emails, we were like gonna get that response. But now that I'm on the other side, I'm like, whoa guys, we need a lot more than emails to get people to hear us, you know, to get the things that we wanna get done. And, you know, although most of our work started off through emails with Diana, you know, a lot of it was online through Zoom because of the pandemic. We got so much stuff done and I am so proud of all of us. And I'm also very thankful again for Gina and her doctoral students because they gave us that little like kick in the butt that we needed because we knew what we were doing, but they were like, keep going, like you can do a little bit more. So I'm just very thankful for this. And although, you know, like I said, I thought I was doing community service. I ended up presenting to like a hundred people about my research at the end of the day and I'm thankful for it. Never would have thought it would happen, but I'm glad it did. Oh y'all, I'm over here laughing and crying at the same time. I'm like, oh, this is so touching. Um, I think that the I laugh because we we did throw y'all into this like participatory action research projects. Also, even just this conversation right now, I'm like, me and Diana are like probably some of the most intense people like on any college campus. Okay. Like, so us together, like y'all were thrown into like so much like intense, like, okay, let's go, 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 faster, faster. Um, and so, wow, I can only imagine how y'all felt um, with that, but also beautiful, like beautiful to hear, you know, the stories and for y'all to say, you know, it was a little bit intense. As Stephanie mentioned, you know, kind of intimidating in the beginning, um, but also for y'all to lean into it and learn with that. Um, and yeah, shout out to our doctoral students, um, Maria Alexia Zaracosa and um, Esteban Alcala, um, and also uh, now Dr. Joe Luis Hernandez, um, who also was a doc student at the time and who jumped in and helped with the project as well. So yeah, that was, those are fun times. So thank you all, all for that. It's, it's really beautiful to hear the the product the outcome um which is where y'all are at at right now so let's talk a little bit about some of the things y'all have been doing we're talking about par but y'all have done a lot of stuff um with the hsi initiative so um tell us a little bit about the practices that uh have, have been going on at mount sac um with your title five hsi efforts So, um, so a little bit of uh, background for our, our Mount Sac Title V project, um, which is entitled Creating an Equity-Minded Campus Culture to Improve Student Outcome. It's led by the amazing um, Dr. Lisa Rodriguez. So shout out to, to Dr. Lisa Rodriguez for, for leading us in this effort. But uh, Mount Sac, Mount San Antonio College is, is not in the state of Texas, which we, we always get that confusion. It's in Southern California, as we mentioned. Um, and we do share the same fence with Cal Poly Pomona University, right? So we, you know, just a little bit of context of where we're located. Um, but we are 
considered the largest uh, community college, a single district, right? Out of California's 116 community college, Mount Sac's like the largest, right? Single district. We have 63% of our students um, identify uh, as Hispanic, Latine, and um, approximately 51% of our students are first generation college students. So um, the goals really of, of the grant, um, you know, there's, there's different components to it. A lot of it is, a lot of the goals do address like faculty and developing faculty, specifically, for example, to access and understand and how to use data, for example, to impact the pedagogies of student outcomes. That's one. The, another goal of the grant overall is financial literacy efforts, you know, campus wide, which is really exciting to see, you know, that that come to fruition. But our responsibility under student development specifically, there are five faculty uh, faculty coordinators that each kind of take on a different component of the grant. So what I'm in charge of um, in leading is faculty coordinator of, of student development, right? And that really is looking at how do we enhance students' cultural awareness, personal development, and leadership skills. So those are the three kind of main components that we look at. So under cultural awareness, we look at things on how do we make students feel more comfortable on campus, increase the their engagement, um, and really empower students to develop that ongoing narrative and counter narrative, right? So that's kind of falls under cultural awareness. For personal development activities, we were really intentional in looking at how do we engage our staff, our faculty, our managers, our alumni, right? Our community members to come back and give back to Mount Sac and engage with our students. Um, and then lastly, that leadership development activities was really looking at, and this was the kind of the only main thing that was written in the grant was that in 2021, students would develop and implement a student-led equity conference. And this had never really been done at Mount Sac. So that was like the one thing that was on our to-do list that, that the grant really called for. But other than that, I mean, it was really us just, you know, freedom dreaming of the, these are all the things that we can go and we can do and, 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 and assessing really what is already, because we're such a large campus, there was a lot of already great work being done. So I think our, our role was really just building those partnerships, those connections, right? And then it was super critical and important for me to incorporate the student voices, right? It, we ha I had to, as soon as I got the gig, the Title V Student Development Coordinator, I was like, all right, I'm gonna hire my team and I'm gonna hire uh, 10 students. So that I started off with a team of 10 and we met every single week, right? And so it was it was really great. And then that's really how um, we, at first I was like, we're gonna just do focus groups with our like students to assess student needs. And that's when I linked up with uh, the amazing Doctora uh, Garcia, and she like was like, "Have you ever heard of PAR?" And I'm like, "No, I have not." <laughs> well, what is it? And this is a participatory action research project, and this was really an opportunity for our team to look at well, what issues you know come up here at Mount Sac, and what solutions can we find to move forward. So that's really, and we'll probably touch a little bit more on PAR, but that really became this. Um, this critical piece in the work that we're doing and the, with the intentionality of, of seeing what works and what's missing. Um, and one of the, again, the main things that when I hired my team of students, I'm like, all right, we're gonna get this done. We're gonna do this work was those, those questions of like, how long have we been in HSI? Um, you know, why is it not, why is it not on our main page of, of our web page, right? And questions like that. So that quickly, you know, got us to work and, and to get the work done for our grant.
Thank you for that overview. And yes, absolutely. Students were a center part of this work. And I was brought in early on too to work with y'all, which is really exciting. Um, and I don't think I had realized it was so new. Like y'all seemed like you were moving and like y'all knew what you were doing. I felt, <laughs> I was like, oh, okay, they, they're, they're moving. I think that's partly partially Lisa, right? Dr. Rodriguez um, really had a good vision for what was gonna go on, which is an important piece of this Title V work. Um, but you really did elevate the student piece, which I don't think people do enough, which is why I really wanted to have y'all y'all here. Um, so let's talk a little bit more about the student component um, and hear from, from our student voices. Um, what specifically do student ambassadors do? Like for folks that are listening that are thinking, ooh, how do I bring students into my HSI Title V work? Um, what do y'all do like on a daily, weekly basis? Um, tell us a little bit about that. So I think it may differ for um, some of us just because we're not all literally in the space um, as Stephanie and Crystal are like not, you know, in California. Well, they are in California, just not like close. Um, so for um, the rest of us that are in the space, um, we kind of just uh, work to support uh, Latinx low income or first gen uh, programs. Um, these programs differ from El Centro or our Chicanic uh, Center developed for students by students um, to ensure success for our Chicanic students, but also to help, um, help them have a space on campus um, to develop their community. Um, we also help and serve a TRIO, um, which Diana mentioned a little bit about, um, which they basically, they're a little mini center Meaning, mini transfer center, I like to call them that, just because they really focus on helping um, our low-income first-gen students transfer out to a four-year institution. And then um, as a group collectively, um, we do host um, meetings on Fridays, um, kind of just to discuss our projects. Um, for example, we are looking into planning our next student-led equity conference. So that's kind of have been um, our, like, group project that we've been doing. Um, but yeah, that's kind of somewhat what my week looks like. So like Arlene mentioned, I'm no longer in California, according to her. <laughs> um, transferring up north uh, was a big shift, you know, although we were already working on Zoom most of the time, not being in Southern California still affected a lot. Um, before I did move up north for school, um, I did help out more for the Centro program here on campus, just because I did have, you know, that like root work connection with them. So I would help out that program a little bit more compared to like the Trio Aces program where Arlene and Graciela were a little bit more prominently like visible and everything. Once I did transfer up north uh a lot of my work has been like a little bit of like the background like graphic design work or a little bit of like working um with Dr. Lisa Rodriguez as well um doing like independent one-on-one -on -one projects with her along with uh, me and Estefania have been lucky enough to spearhead the Latinx student resource guide which has been more work than we anticipated because although being online for two years people still don't answer emails and it's like, guys, come on, we're just trying to help out the rest of the campus to be able to use your programs and to use your resources. But we're definitely excited to go ahead and get that on the ground running. Uh, 
like Arlene also mentioned, you know, those Friday meetings are crazy. We we have a game plan. We come into the meeting with one idea and then we're leaving with 15,000 other ideas. And we're like, all right, let's see. Let's divide the work. We divide and conquer. And we just get like such beautiful results. I love it. I went to go visit campus the other day and somebody was like, you're one of Diana's students, aren't you? I was like, I am one of Diana's students. Thank you for acknowledging us and our work. We appreciate it. We like to be known and to be visible around campus. Okay. Um, so to answer the question, um, it really depends, like, I think depending on like what our goals are for next week, like, okay, like what's the next thing? Like, what are we on to next? Like it, like really what our most urgent goals are for that week is what we really work on. Um, and the work we've been doing on a weekly basis can really range from anywhere from finalizing details for like an upcoming equity conference, right? Or to practicing to prepare for a research conference, which is like, ooh, like we'll get into that <laughs> in the future um, questions. Um, and it's been really cool to see like our work come full circle and planning those types of events, right? Um, and especially because we first started off with PAR or participatory action research. And, um, you're, you know, now to see like, um, not to be fully participating in bringing our action projects that stem um, from our PAR results to life, like has been really cool um, to see like how like it all ties together and it's all connected. So as you can see, our schedules do change a bit. Um, if we have projects coming up or any like presentations, we're gonna do, but like as a team, we do meet Fridays and then we go over like our objectives and anything we plan or coordinate any projects coming up. As for myself, I work on campus during the week. So twice a week, I work supporting the ACES program at Mount Sac, which serves low-income first-gen and or students with documented disability. And then once a week, I also work at the First Peoples Native Center at Mount Sac, which works to support our um, diverse Native and Indigenous student populations. So with both programs, I help them like plan, set up for events or any workshops coming up. And it's been really great, like and fun, like helping them all set up with everything. Thank you all for answering the question. I think what y'all are giving me a lot of like insight into and our listeners in, into is the way in which the HSI work that comes on as a grant. So it like, you know, comes on out of nowhere sometimes for five years um, has to work in tangent with what's already going on on campus, right? Like, I think y'all y'all are giving us such a good view of what that looks like. Is like, yeah, HSI is not a normal part of campus when it comes on. Um, and there are already things going on that are what I would call servingness, right? That I, I would classify and, and y'all probably would because y'all understand what that means, right? That like these dimensions, like y'all keep mentioning TRIO, that's already a dimension, right? Mecha is already dimension of servingness. And we just sort of uh, add on, right? Or work in, in conjunction with these, with these different programs, um, which is, I think, I, I think awesome, right? For us to think about that as HSI practitioners, folks who are listening, researchers, anyone listening, thinking how does servingness attach to and work with what you already have going on, right? And y'all are, are all as students connected to these different programs in different ways. So it's really powerful to, to hear that. 
And I was a little bit confused when Arlene said that y'all moved out of California. <laughs> I guess Northern California is a whole nother state. So I think she just want, you know, it's a little hurt because y'all left, you know, like why y'all, why y'all go so far? <laughs> Northern California is a little bit further than uh, Mount Sec. <laughs> um, but let's go ahead and talk then about some of your accomplishments, right? Because y'all been doing this work for, yeah, for two years already. Um, Tell us about some of the major accomplishments that y'all are proud of that you've accomplished as ambassadors, as your HSI people. Yeah, so I'll go ahead and go first. So we have done several presentations on the HSI work we're doing on campus. Like last year, we presented to our new faculty seminar in March. In April, we presented to um, the Power of a Data Conference to Mount Sac staff and faculty. And then last August, we all, no, last year, last August, we also presented to um, to the Strengthening Student Success Conference for California Educators. And so far this year, March, we presented at the American Association of Hispanic Educators, also known as AHI in Nevada, which was really great. It was the first experience to all of us. And this past November, we also presented at the California Community College Organization, their Latina, Latino, Latinx Empowerment Guidance and advocacy, also known as Colegas. And this presentation was also really wonderful. We all got to like be there, all four of well, all five of us. We presented also with Lisa and um, Joe Lewis. And we, ha we have also done a couple events on campus. So like last year, we did our Latinx graduation ceremony, which we had like 150 attendees. We also planned our Latinx Professional Development Institute, which we had 40 attendees, but it was a two-day experience. It was really fun. And it was like one of the first projects where we actually like went on campus and we all kind of met each other. And like, we had been working online, but like this was actually like physical, physically there. And this past March, we had our equity conference and we um, planned it for hundred attendees. We have also intentionally collaborated with several programs, like as we've been mentioning in groups around campus, and everything has really helped us like amplify our voices and help develop that student HSI identity at Mount Sac. Um, then I wanted to um, re like reply to this question with like two accomplishments. The first accomplishment um, that I think was really important was the Latinx Professional Development Institute, also known as LPDI. Um, I think it was like a big definitely like a big milestone of an accomplishment to me because it was our very first title five event to host as a team um I never really knew what went into making these types of events on campus and like I think like I even before like before LPDI I would definitely go to like a bunch of events but like actually like having to host an event like this like I realized how much like love and like labor it goes into taking to like put on events like this um and it was really great to see like the students become interested in not only like understanding what Title V is, but also to feel empowered to seek community and further develop their sense of identity and find inspiration through amazing like Mount Sac alumni. Um, and then also, um, as was mentioned before, uh, I think when uh, like definitely having gone to the conferences, um, specifically, I went to one of the two conferences that our team has been on, which was the Colegas conference. So I can mostly just speak to that experience. 
Um, attending the conference was a, like definitely a wonderful experience and a way to enjoy, like truly enjoy the fruits of our labor. And I think because like I've been working mostly remotely, like in the past couple months and prior to that, I mean, of course, I was mostly specifically like I was like working in person, but it was mostly like in the sphere of the Mount Sac community. I didn't realize like how many people thought our work was like truly special and like who um are from like other community colleges and other universities like they're also looking at us and like I didn't really realize that and it was cool to see how full our presentation room got at the colegas conference and from the audience audience members who were ready to see to see us and speak about our like see us speak about our work basically and then for people like even after the presentation who like like literally like they wanted to take pictures of us like we were celebrities and go up to us and network and that felt like definitely surreal and this experience helped me like like that experience of going to the colegas conference like really helped me see the bigger picture of the impact of our work and, and as well like it's just as how we fit into the bigger picture of serving this So in regards to some of the accomplishments that I have personally been able to get done as an ambassador, I think one of the first ones that I want to highlight was when we first did our presentation to um, the steering committee. I remember I asked Diana if she could stay behind a little bit so I could ask her if it would be appropriate or not for me to keep my septum piercing along with my other facial piercings in during this presentation. Growing up, the first thing my mom always told me was, you have to look a certain way so that people can respect you and listen to what you're saying. So I was like, okay, let me ask Diana. If she says I have to take it out, I completely understand. You know, we are presenting really important information and I want people to hear what we have to say. And Diana was like, why are you even asking? Like, it's pretty. Why, why would you need to take it out? And I was like, okay. I was like, all right, you know, let's, let's see how this goes. Did the presentation, presentation was amazing. Then we go to Ahi. I was already scared because it's Ahi. We like, these are, I, I like to say adults, although like I, I'm not an adult as well, you know, but these are, you know, people who have been in this realm, who have been here, have made their space and everything. And I went there with bright red hair, uh, undercut, facial piercing still. And I was like, oh my God, nobody's gonna listen to me like I'm just gonna stand in the background I'm gonna let everybody else present you know like I know what I'm talking about but like nobody's gonna want to come if I'm standing in the front of our poster board nobody's gonna come up to us because they're gonna be like oh look at this girl she's is like she's all she has all that in her face she doesn't know what she's talking about she's probably just there just to make some quota or something but no People were coming up to me, they were coming up to the rest of us and they were listening to us and they were asking us questions and like they were making eye contact, you know, they weren't like talking to me and like staring at my hair or like staring at my septum piercing. No, they were making eye contact and they were avidly like listening and reflecting and like acknowledging that although I look like the crazy person that I look like, I do know what I'm talking about. And that was like so empowering for me because you know, although I am grateful for all the research, I am grateful for all this opportunity. I think the biggest part that I was able to take out of this continuing journey is that I didn't have to alter myself in order to fit into this higher educational realm, which is something that like I have been taught since 
forever, you know, in elementary school, they make you wear, you know, the professional clothing so that you can present, you know, I remember in sixth grade when we had to, when I bought my first pair of slacks and they were like, all right, you know, like, this is what professional people look like. Slick your hair back, make sure your bun is all tied up. Don't have your wavy, frizzy hair out, you know, make sure it's slick, flat iron your hair. I remember, you know, being trained already from a beginning, like an early age that I had to look a specific way and mode. And then I was like, no, like that Diana gave me the green flag. So I'm gonna run with this green flag as far as I can until somebody tells me that I can't. And then I'm gonna go back to Diana and be like, Diana, they told me I can't. So Diana can remind me again of all the work that we have been able to get done looking the way that we all do, you know, which is something that I think everybody needs to remember because even like, you know, the adults of the realm, I'm sure some of them sometimes are like, oh, maybe I shouldn't, you know, wear a certain whatever or whatever. Let's talk about Dr. Gina. Dr. Gina wore the best heels at Colegas. I don't know how she walked in them. I don't know how she goes anywhere in them. But Dr. Gina's heels, oh my God. And her whole outfit, everything, you know, like that's what I want to see in the realm. I want to see us talking about the stuff that we're passionate about, but I also want us to be able to present ourselves in the way that we are, you know, bring out our cultura, bring out our, you know, our aesthetics, our little cliches, our little everythings. And still show that we are who we are and we have the research and the knowledge to back it up. I just want to say I love that, Crystal. Yes, go off. Um, So for me, um, I think that a great accomplishment I think we had was, um, I remember asking Diana, like, we all asked Diana, like, how long have we been in HSI? And Diana was like, I have no idea. So then Diana went to go ask, Dr. Lisa Rodriguez and Dr. Lisa was like I don't know either um and it just kind of went to the end of Dr. Lisa asked her uh higher-ups and then we found out that we've been designated as an HSI since 1999 like so many years and what has like I was just thinking about it and I'm like we have been in HSI for so many years and we still don't have that on Mount Sox's website. It's still not acknowledged. Like we have like this thing where, um, you know, I'll get into it later on, but it was kind of like, we we were trying to find out how many clicks does it take to get to the HSI piece. Um, and it just, it was very interesting to see that it took a lot of clicks. Um, so, you know, Dr. Lisa made, we kind of pushed it for them to actually hold, um, the HSI title on Mount Sachs about section. So now if you go to the website, it's right there displayed um, just as an, an a PC. So now I think for me, that was a great accomplishment because it was, it was that piece that's like, well, now the moment you go into Mount Sachs and you try to Mount Sachs website and you try to find out like what Mount Sachs is about, it's like, yes, we are an HSI. We are a Hispanic servant institution and we're proud of that. And that for me has been like such, such um, a great accomplishment because it's telling every student like you are welcome no matter who you are. Absolutely. These responses are just so beautiful. Um, Y'all are many celebrities, by the way. Um, That's why people want to talk to you and get to know you and talk about your poster and hear from your presentations. Um, 
the the reality is um the, the adults the grown-ups right in higher ed um uh, which is really just the folks who you know who have the jobs um we value students right a lot of us do maybe not everybody but a majority of us do we don't do this work because we don't want to value students and hear from students so i'm glad that like you all have had such a just a beautiful amazing response um that people have been very receptive to your message um and i hope more people we'll bring in uh, students into these conversations because we need it. Um, I say all the time, I'm like, well, maybe we should just ask the students what they think we should do to serve them, <laughs> right? Like we're spending, we're spinning our reels. I mean, I've written whole ass books and articles and podcasts and it's like, why don't we ask students, right? Um, because that's valid, right? That's valid knowledge, everything y'all are bringing in. Um, so thank you for that. And yes, dress how you want, be you, show up, all of that, um, how you are, right? People need to respect um, how you show up and how you how you move through the world. So so thank you for being y'all y'all selves, you know, authentically um, and unapologetically. I love it. Um, so we've mentioned the PAR a couple of times, and I would like to talk a little bit about that for anybody that's listening. It's like, okay, tell us about the PAR. What what would you find in your research? Um, so if y'all want to talk about that, about what was the outcome of that? What did you learn and what did the campus learn from your, your PAR projects? I think for me, I think we've pretty much mentioned it. This was like brand new work for us. We really weren't sure of what we're doing um but as we see as we received the guidance um we we came to understand what a participatory action research was um and it was interesting to see how we each had our own theme and that we each focused um on that theme and how i guess that interesting part was also how we each each group developed their own um unique type of data so we kind of all went our own separate ways some of us did surveys some of us did interviews and like that was a cool piece because you kind of see how data is developed in different pieces like it doesn't have to be one certain way um so for my group we were designated to amplifying the hsi identity at mount sag um we were guided by dr joe Luis hernandez um, and we kind of, we learned to conduct professional interviews um, that focused on collecting data regarding knowledge of HSIs on Mount Sac staff. Um, and, you know, with that data, we kind of just discovered that Mount Sac doesn't really have much knowledge. Like we've been in HSI for, since 1999 and even staff and faculty don't know what that means. Um, and so it was pretty interesting to see how students are actually teaching um, the staff like what this means and how we can continue to help develop our Latinx students and how we can continue to develop that community and develop that research of like what else can we do to make sure that these students are getting their needs met and it's not just going to somewhere else where it's like okay where did what did y'all do with this right um so yeah that has been um that has been uh, my part on the participatory action research. So for my portion of the participatory action research project, we I actually worked alongside with Stefania and we were led by Maria Alexia. Shout out to her, love her. Uh, she also just made it home the other day. Hope her drive was safe. Um, so we talked about the lack 
of faculty and staff of color on campus, you know, and how that impacts not only the academic journey of a student, but also their social journey as into what they plan on doing after school, you know, and we talked about how we literally hadn't seen anybody. We had mentioned how we had like two like faculty of color and like they were predominantly male, you know, none of them were even like female identifying. And we took the route of conducting surveys just because it was going to get personal if we did interviews. I will say I was scared of like how personal it was going to get if we reached out to students, staff, and faculty on their experiences about this. And I'm not saying that we don't need that personal part, but I didn't know how I was going to react knowing that there were so many other people who felt like me on campus. So we're like, okay. Let's keep it a little bit basic and just send out the surveys. Interestingly enough, there was not as much response from students compared to the staff and faculty. Staff and faculty were out and loud and telling us how crappy they felt being in this campus with only having having their friends being the only other people on campus that identified as minorities, you know, and it's it's sad because it's like like I said earlier, the whole adults thing. I think that adults have it down, that adults have, you know, they've found their way through these things. They've got into their places in life. They've got into their career paths, but they still feel like us. They still feel like the students who are walking around the exact same campus and seeing just like us, that there's nobody else who look like them. And it's sad and it's scary. And it's, it like makes me like, oh my God, do I not want to go into like the higher ed career force? Like, Am I going to be even more of a sore thumb identifying as a non-binary individual? But then I read specifically one professor's response and I actually had this professor and I was like, nah, after reading this professor's response, I was like, let's keep going. Let's keep getting more. I was like, let's make it personal. Let's get everybody to tell us why, you know, they eat lunch in their parking lot in their car instead of going over to you know hang out in the community lunch area you know to go eat with other staff and faculty but it's because they don't find that familia they don't find that family that centered space that allows them to feel like they are a part of the campus which sucks because as professors as staff and faculty they are impacting students and they are you know making change one sentence that a staff and faculty says to us changes our whole lives forever and, you know, they don't feel like they are doing that work because there is no more people like them. And after reading those submissions, I was like, wow, like Mount Sac really needs to change throttles here. Because how do you have more than 60 percent of your students identifying as Latinx and Hispanic, but you only have five percent of your staff and faculty identifying within that community? Like where where? What are you doing to your students at the end of the day, other than showing them that they don't belong in this realm? Which is something that, you know, a lot of HSI people are making, are acknowledging and are pushing for that change. And I'm so glad that although I am still a little fish in this sea, that there are those bigger sharks that are like taking this down and are making sure that that movement is happening. Um, Personally, one of the challenges I faced was related to understanding research I on was honestly like pretty hard on myself and I felt really incompetent trying to read the literature so we could do the write-up 
um, I felt kind of awkward and like something was wrong with me. However, like having gotten the position to begin with, I realized, you know, like there's like capability there of like understanding, of being able to understand the research um, that our team lead, Maria Alexia, assigned us. And I'll be honest, like sometimes I would procrastinate on the work assignments or even turn stuff, a few stuff, a couple hours late or maybe even a day late because I felt intimidated. And also like, um, like I also had like untreated ADHD up until like last week. And I know that seems like a little out of the blue. Like why bring that up? Like, like you're probably like, oh my gosh, like your little like Aquarius rising is like popping out because you're just saying this randomly. Um, <laughs> but like up until, right. Like, but I do think it's like also like still definitely an important part of my journey. And I want to provide that context because like having like an untreated disability and trying to navigate research is definitely like also intimidating. Um, and just again, part of my journey. Um, and despite all the intimidation, I think with the nature of PAR research, the PAR research structure, um, it kind of took off. I eventually like kind of it took off the pressure of trying to keep track of like things like external validity, the external validity of our work and just like the rigid standards that sometimes come with empirical research. And I'll be honest, like I didn't really understand this at first. And I thought we needed a lot of people to take our survey. Like um, as Crystal mentioned, like specifically, like with our student surveys, we didn't get a lot um, or that we needed to crunch a bunch of numbers to provide specific details on how, how like strong our Pearson R correlations were or something. <laughs> um, however, like looking back, like it wasn't, it's not like one of the only goals of PAR research and like the purpose of PAR research is to make it accessible to the population of interest um, under the objective of addressing inequities. And like we as student ambassadors are, we were like, we are like the population of interest. And it's wonderful to see that we as students were able to take charge over research that was about us. And it shows us like that on paper, like sometimes it's easy to just see like a student as like just a number in a statistics, but our lives are so much like, as you're hearing now, like our lives are so much more than just being a number. So yes, as for me, I feel like it was an amazing experience. Like in the end, like the PAR project was to like explore what it meant for Mount Sac to become an HSI guided by like the question in what ways do students construct and enact an HSI organization identity and as for far as my group we sent out surveys and we had like a great team of doctoral students who helped like review and quote all the submissions I believe in the end we had like 68 responses from faculty staff and students and from there um the doctoral students like determined the preliminary themes so in the end we had the three three themes emerged from our data, which were the lack of faculty of color, accessibility, abil disability, and ability services, and the HSI identity that um, everybody has been mentioning. And I feel like the challenges we faced were at the beginning were like when we got started, like where to even get started in our research. We weren't aware of the process and what to do either. It was all new like to all the ambassadors. And I feel like in the end, we accomplished many great things, like what was mentioned before of having the Mount Sac C that this great recognition of being an HSI was not properly placed like on our website. We also had like the opportunity to do the poster presentations for our PAR project at AHI. And it was great, like everyone mentioned, like it was great having these like higher ed professionals see and tell us that we were doing such a great job. It was like really rewarding because we had worked so hard for like months putting everything together. And it was a little stressful at the beginning, but like 
at the end, seeing it all come together was what made everything like well worth it and seeing that we were actually making changes and accomplishing things. Wonderful. So many outcomes. I don't know if y'all are aware, but there's a lot of research that shows that if you get involved in undergraduate research, you're more likely to fill in the blank. Like there's so many outcomes, right? Like to transfer, to graduate, to go on to PhD programs, like it's so beneficial and we know it like it's, 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 it's been proven in, in research and empirical, there's empirical evidence of it. So um, y'all are already great. Y'all were already great when you got into this work. Um, but yeah, I think the part is like opened up your y'all y'all's even greater, you know, visions for the future. Um, so I, I love hearing, I love hearing it. It's so wonderful. And Estefania, I never did undergraduate research. Um, I didn't do research to my master's program. So you're a step ahead of me. Um, and I, do it for my job, right? As y'all know now. So it's not never too early, right? To, to jump in. I think y'all just really showed that, right? The power of it and, and shared so many outcomes of the research and also your own personal outcomes that you, you got from it. Um, so you got people listening, y'all. People are listening to this podcast. You know, it's like being downloaded by like a lot of practitioners who want to know how do we do HSI work. So you you have the opportunity. Um, and as students, in your opinions, what should HSIs be doing differently? So I'll go ahead and answer that one first. So I feel like um, a great help would be to help students better understand their identities like help students better understand and be involved like with the resources available. And because when I started, I didn't know what resources were available. So I had like, my friend was like this and this. So that's all like I found out what everything was out there. Like if they don't have that, that source of information, like, and they don't know how to get out to the students, like make a better change, make better opportunities for them to join the groups and like help them overcome any barriers they're having at like at a community college. And like, I feel like many times these students are first gen and have nowhere to look for like no guidance and they need these programs to help them prepare for their future. So I, it's like a very, like for me, it was very important knowing and thank God, like I found Diana Felix and she, like she helped me so much. But I feel like a lot of students don't have their Diana Felix and they don't have their like opportunities or they don't have, or they don't even know where to find them. Maybe the opportunities are all there, but you don't know how to find them. So maybe having something that helps them find these resources or helps them find these opportunities much easier because a lot of times like it was mentioned earlier I was one of those students I would go to my class and like okay bye I gotta go I have a kid at home like I have to go home like I'm I go to campus I get my like I go to my class and then bye like I'm leaving I was never like oh let me see what's around here like no I didn't even know where my buildings were at all I knew was where my class was at where I had to park and then I had to go that was it so I feel like it's very important for everyone to be able to have these resources available and easily found. I think one of the most important things is for HSIs to say that they are HSIs. You know, Mount Sac, we love to talk about our sports. We love to talk about our football team. Let's throw a HSI patch on the jerseys. People are going to be like, oh, what's that? And then, hey, whoever is now leading the campus, we are an HSI. This is what an HSI is. Now let's keep watching our football game. You know, there's easy ways to go ahead and plug in that we are an HSI campus. And the campus just isn't taking acknowledgement of it. And it sucks because if we were loud and proud about how we are an HSI and how we cater to low-income, first-gen communities, we would have way more people wanting to come to our campus. We would have more students wanting to be back on campus rather than 
this growing number of students who are deciding to stay online, you know, and using online resources, which is cool. Some people need to use the online resources. Some people have, you know, lives that can only allow them to continue the educational journey like this. But if we aren't talking about how we are in HSI, and we aren't talking about the amazing resources like how Graciela was talking about earlier that, you know, are available on campus, you know, then that's why we're losing our student numbers on campus. That's why campus is slowly trickling down and we have empty buildings now. We have classes being canceled because we don't have enough on-campus student enrollment. And it's all because the school doesn't want to boast about themselves. Like, boasting about yourself is the easiest thing you can do like we have the tools we have the ability let's do it if we need a spokesperson we have an amazing you know student um community student government on campus they can be used to help and to advocate that we are an hsi we can you know inform them what an hsi is and we can continue allowing this hsi work to flow into other communities on campus you know it sucks and it's kind of hard to work with other student leaders because they see us as just doing research and we're just doing like this nitty-gritty work that they don't really want to be a part of but it's like okay we'll do this nitty-gritty work and here we'll give you all the five points that we need you to say say these five points and boom we all are working together now it's so easy and campuses are not doing it and I don't understand why. So um, I think for me, I think it's been important uh, what Montsac has been doing. Um, and also I think PCC has been doing that piece as well as having an HSI people, having student voices um, is so important to that HSI aspect. But how, because how are you gonna, you can do all this research and you can, you know, Gina, you've been doing so much research on what an HSI is and what it encompasses and so much work on it, but also like there's that student voice missing as well. Like we have to know what the students need, what the student wants and where, where else can you get it if it's not from the students, right? So I think it's just very important to have that student voice aspect and be able to, you know, ask the students, you know, is more um, faculty of color more important than something else? Or, you know, like, do we need that? What, what is missing here? And um, definitely having the student voices and knowing what they're, if it's gonna benefit the students, where else can you get that information, right? The important part is getting it from the students. And I think, um, you know, having HSIs, um, and I think also like one thing Diana has mentioned a lot is, you know, this Title V grant is, it's only five years, um, you know, we obviously can apply to it, right? But where is the work that we are doing as students, where is it gonna be held after that? You know, where is it gonna be held after the Title V grant? And so, you know, we've been trying to work with um, Encentro to, you know, host, to keep continuing hosting all these, um, stuff that this wonderful stuff that we're doing and so I think having somewhere where the work that's currently being done hosted after the title five grant is done is very very important I co-sign all of these suggestions y'all these are amazing yes bring in students but like yes I think the what you're, we were just talking about Arlene is like 
the power of institutionalizing and the struggle really of institutionalizing um, an HSI grant. People struggle to institutionalize anything, regardless of what it is. Um, but as, like, especially the student piece, right? You have this amazing student component and then it just fizzles away. Um, how terrible and how sad for y'all to think your legacy might fizzle away, right? So um, I have a feeling Diana's going to make sure that doesn't happen. But, you know, I, I'm glad the conversation's um, already happening. And yes, to making the football team or basketball team or whoever wear HSI on their on their uniforms. That's, that's so cool. Um, and this is why we need to ask students, right? Because y'all th thinking outside the box, right? Then the, the same old, same old responses that uh, as researchers or as adults, <laughs> I'm going to keep using that crystal, have on campus. Um, so final question, y'all. Everyone's got to answer this one before they get out of here. When you think of the 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 you know podcast name, it's Que Pasa HSIs. Like, how do you respond to that after doing all this work? Que Pasa HSIs. So HSIs are complicated, <laughs> and this work can get so overwhelming. But don't forget that there is power in the student voice. Make space for that voice. Go look for that. Uh, incorporate it, document it, amplify it, because they will guide us in how to serve them and will remind us when it's not happening. Um, I think that HSIs are, like Diana said, like they're super complex and they play an important role in advocating for marginalized students in higher education. And in the end, like what matters the most is not if your institution has this title of being a Hispanic serving institution and getting all this grant money, but what is being done, right, to make sure that the students' are, needs are being met. Like, how how does this tie back to the students rather than, like, how does this just benefit the institution? Um, ¿Qué pasa? Pues todavía hay mucho que planear y mucho que cambiar. And a little translation to that is we still have a lot to plan and a lot to change. I think, um, ¿qué pasa? HSIS? Well, que la lucha sigue. As I mentioned, I think we need more student voices in order to continue to develop our HSIS. Porque this grant was made to help our Latinx students in their education journey. Y que mejor para decir que es lo que necesitan to be successful que los estudiantes. Lo que pasa es, as we are going through our revolution to help and aim towards our community, we can't forget that there's other communities next to us who also need that extra push and that little kick in the butt, like how we originally needed to help them and get their ball rolling. Beautiful, beautiful stated, beautiful translanguaging. Thank you all for digging in deep with that question. That's a hard question for people to answer. It really is. It stumps most people. Um, so thank you all for answering that. And thank you for being here today as our first student guest. You were amazing. I know this is going to be downloaded hundreds of times, hundreds of hundreds of times. Um, and I'm so excited to share it with folks. So thank you for being here with us today.